0: <laughs> so happy to welcome you to another show. This show, the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. I'm very excited that you put me in your ears and pressed play today. You guys know the shows where I sit down with the world's top creators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and do everything I can to unpack their brains to help you do your best, live your dreams in career and hobby and in life. And my guest today is Adam Ghazali. Now, if you have any sort of background in neuroscience or training your brain, Adam will be a household name. And if not, stand by for a treat. In short, Adam is a speaker, a scientist, a researcher, an author, and general all-around badass. He he. Uh, there's one part in the podcast today where he says like, "Oh yeah, so I finished my PhD and my MD and you know became a doctor and then I was working on my masters and this, you know, like just the typical path." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, bro! <laughs> typical path? You're like the most educated person I've ever met." Um, anyway, super, super smart guy, and in short, he's a hyphen because he works on so many different projects, but his whole world, by and large, revolves around training the human brain and how do we use technology to train or retrain that brain to make it better. Now, if you're like me, anything that sort of says anything about, ooh, make your brain smarter, faster, bigger, stronger... I'm interested in it because I know it's such a core part of our who we are as creatures, and it's the centerpiece to some of the things that differentiate us from other species. Things like <clears throat> creativity, for example. You you may have heard me talk about this before. the the, the mind. I don't use the word our mind. I use the, the the word the mind because it's a two million year old organ that is not designed to make us happy and great, it's designed to keep us alive. So what I think most people don't realize is that like other parts of our body, we can train this organ, this piece of our human to work for us rather than to just, quote unquote, make decisions based on primarily keeping us alive. Now, Adam's work, to bring it back, is he, you know, he's um, a neuroscientist. He runs a a lab called Neuroscape at a university at UCSF, and he also has this for-profit company called Kili, which we'll learn a little bit about in the podcast, and in short, he like basically comes at it from all different areas about how we can train our brain some from from the, the research side, some from the practical application. In short, if you like ideas like using gaming as medication for ADHD, for example, he has he's in stage three, I think stage three clinical trials on having the first ever prescription like that that's not molecular or not some drug and he's also working on a half a dozen other things that you'll learn about in his research labs and in his private companies to improve cognition um, we talk in this episode about a cognition crisis the reality is that our brain biochemically and biologically is not able to evolve as fast as pop culture I mean because we've got like molecules and they need to pass themselves you know on from one generation to another Another, and yet technology and all these things are changing so quickly that we, in a sense, have to take control over how we learn and train our brain and, and take over because the rate that we're learning, i.e. cognition, is not moving as fast as it could or should if we got involved. And so that's the core of Adam's work. Fascinating for creativity, fascinating for science, fascinating for parenting. The world, you know, this is another takeaway. The world, it needs wisdom. And that part of wisdom is developing things like intuition. That is actually a cognition. We talk about that we talked about i mentioned you know medication uh, learning as medication for the brain playing video games for example and in short it's 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 a muscle it's like a muscle not literally a muscle but it's like a muscle and that we need to train it and put it through its paces that is neuroplasticity so I, I mean, we covered so much ground. Again, if you if you think back to a couple of things I've said in this intro, if any of that is interesting to you, my conversation rather with Adam is going to rock you. I love having people like Adam from outside what would typically be thought of the the parameters of what this podcast can cover, and we go right into it. And there's a bunch of tactical, cool takeaway stuff, and also an intimation of where it's all going. So. I got to get us into the show, but before we do, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show. Possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits, and today, Creative Live is a part of the sponsor announcement you to know that they have a new very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine that would be the creative live iPhone iPad and Apple TV apps they're all free and they let you watch all of the creative life classes that are on air streaming for free anything you already own and on the iPhone and iPad apps you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free that is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps go to the App Store, uh, iTunes and search Creative Live or go to creativelive.com/apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show.
1: Excited to be here. This has shape. been so long in the making. I know,
0: we've wanted to do this for a while. <laughs> and um for those of you who've been following the show for a super long time, I think it was like four years ago. At least. So it was a little bit of, it was a sneak preview. <laughs> it was like a 10 minute version of this. And uh, Creative Live, we were broadcasting live in partnership with Uber mm-hmm. from the back of an Uber. Mm-hmm. We'd go around and pick up celebrity badasses mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. yourself
1: at South, By. <laughs> at South
0: By and drive you to your next destination. <laughs> so we had these like 10 to 15 minute little interviews. And I, I remember you and your wife, Jo, yep, right? Exactly. We sat, sat down. Yeah, it was fun. Um, a lot of ground has been covered since then in your yeah, world. a lot. Um, so knowing that you're using technology to improve the function of the human brain, uh, if, with that as sort of the foundation, add a little bit of color. So I know you've got a... You've got a research component here at UCSF, mm-hmm. you've got a professional with Achille, mm-hmm. your t- company that's focused on helping that, uh, commercializing that technology mm-hmm. Exactly. And Give us a little bit of, a, what's the backstory, the big narrative?
1: Well, I'd say the backstory really cycles around my involvement with the brain as a researcher and as a clinician, as a neurologist. Um, I did my training for, you know, in a very traditional way, PhD in neuroscience, medical training, and, uh very traditional phd in neuroscience <laughs> and then I was a doctor and then I did yeah, this, this the and standard. then I landed on the moon and then I <laughs> and you know but the 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 path through neuroscience and understanding the brain was the the you know the standard and then around 2008 I just got really frustrated with that um, the meds that we use to treat our patients are really poorly targeted lots of side effects we've developed no other approaches besides this giant incumbent of using molecules Mm -hmm. to improve how our brains function, our cognition, our memory, attention, how we regulate our emotions, and um, I was just dissatisfied with that system, and so I really shook it up in 2008. I was already a tenured professor at UCSF at that point, and that's sort of the license to go ahead and be a little crazy. Yep. And um, uh, the big picture is that I wanted to come up with a way of helping us improve our brain function. And it started with people uh, improving that function, people that had deficits as neurological psychiatric patients. Now it's expanded beyond that. But the idea was to not use molecules as we've relied upon. But rather go back to- And by that you mean drugs. Drugs, drugs. But rather to go back to a more um, ancient practice of improving the brain uh, function, which is through experience. I um, if you look at like Eastern philosophies and contemplative traditions of meditation and mindfulness, that was the dominant way that we improved brain function. Yeah. And I would say that in modern era, both our education system of like our didactic approach to like just transferring information, yeah. and, and then when minds are not developed in the way that we want them to be or are degenerating, we give them drugs, um, to go back to experience and to th- say, can we build really powerful experiences to target brain networks more selectively than anything we've ever accomplished with a drug before, and to put a pressure on that system to change it to have a healthier, stronger brain. That was the idea that started all of this uh, that has transformed my life and the lives of other people uh, that are now involved in this mission. It's so powerful,
0: like watching your work at work, is so cool. We met, I don't know, maybe four four years ago. I think that was the first time we met it was in the back it of the car. Huh? Yeah, and then exactly. I, I went and took a tour of your facility over at UCSF, <laughs> UCSF and uh, obviously our social circles overlap a, a bunch now. Um, but like, So I'm gonna give a little bit of backstory on okay. my, the, one of the reasons I'm so fascinated with you and your work and I think why your work resonates and or for the folks who are just coming in to know your work are going to be very impressed is, so my backstory was as an athlete and seeing the power of the mind through visualization. Um, I was on a, uh, the Olympic development team and we had mm-hmm. access to some sports psychologists and they just gave me like like 10 seeds. Like here mm-hmm. kid, you know, visualize yourself scoring a goal and, and I got crazy powerful results. And this is just like me with a book mm-hmm. and a couple of hours of training with a professional mm-hmm. in I don't even wanna say the year because it was, it was a while ago. Right. <laughs> but I saw crazy powerful results with how to, that, that programming my mind mm-hmm. in a way. And I know you, you do it, we've talked about drugs already, mm-hmm. but also technology. This was just like using your brain to try and retrain your brain. I became hooked. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy for me to latch onto your work. Mm-hmm. Um, but one other piece of backstory um, before I just turn you loose here is I think now more than ever before, like the whether it's social pressures or the anxieties of modern culture or the world is moving at a pace that our brains are struggling to catch up with. We have this two million year old organ in our skull mm-hmm. and it, it appears to me both experientially like, as in myself and through mm-hmm. observing that we're not doing as good a job or we're falling short in some ways whether it's in education mm-hmm. or or whatever and your work addresses that cr- so broadly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what got you, so again, I'm trying to talk to the creator and the entrepreneur audience. Mm-hmm. You followed your passion mm-hmm. to get into this and it was circuitous, but tell me how you got interested in this
1: mm-hmm. and why you are where you are today. Well, how you just described it is so in alignment with my latest views upon this. And I wouldn't say it was it was my the nidus of this. I mean, I really approach this as, a neurologist seeing deficits that we were not dealing with adequately. Okay. But now it is much bigger than that. Um, and the idea that our brains and our minds have not been evolving to keep up with how the world is changing, and a lot yeah. of that is the influence of technology, yeah. is so salient to me that I would say that we're actually, as a species, experiencing what I'd describe as a cognition crisis right now, Yeah. Um, which would lend itself to a a challenge, a grand challenge of enhancing our cognitive abilities. Um, And I think that it's a challenge on the level of things like climate change uh, being a challenge, because if we can't build our minds, um, and I mean our attention, our perception, our um, our decision-making, our emotional regulation, our aggression regulation, our empathy, our compassion, our wisdom, our, our love, yeah. Yeah. if we can't build those things, we'll never deal with something like climate change. Yeah. We just won't be able to think at the level, that time-delayed way of how it's affecting not you but other people to fix something like that. So we have to build stronger brains and better minds or else we're just going to suffer as a species in so many ways. And. I think we see examples of that every time we look at the news, yep. that we're just not keeping up. We've, we've abandoned some of the, as I said, ancient ways that we used to be involved in and in keeping our minds at a higher level. And so that's, that's sort of what drives me right now.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna try and continue to straddle this, why I gave you my personal yeah. backstory, which is cause I basically had no tools, I mean a couple tools, and it was the equivalent of like a hammer mm-hmm. and a rock. And I was right. able to make something work for me way back then, and yeah. I've since been, become obsessed with it as, I mean, Creative Live literally exists as personal, like a vehicle to assist personal transformation. Right. And what I've learned in living in this world for years and years now, and through my own personal development, and the people, the hundred plus people who've sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now, the Tim Ferris's, mm-hmm. the, the Kevin Rose's, the friends mm-hmm. that we share in common, the Brene Brown's, like, it's within our grasp, It's within not just our lifetime, but now there's Mm -hmm. so many things that we can do to tap into this. Mm -hmm. What you called this sort of crisis. Mm -hmm. So, with that as the backdrop, Mm -hmm. what are you doing in that lab down the street?
1: Yeah. (laughs) What are you? What are you? You're cooking up video games. Yeah. And yeah. so, So you know the 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 leap over is that technology has challenged our brains in lots of ways. Yeah. Um, I wrote a book on this last year called The Distracted Mind, Ancient Brains in a High-Tech World, about essentially that issue. But that is not something that I think about a ton anymore. I'm more interested in the positive side of it. How can we flip the story around? How can we build technology or leverage existing technologies to maximally harness our brain's plasticity, to enhance our cognition, to refine our behavior, I mean, ultimately to elevate our minds? That is what I'm obsessed with now. Um, and technology, as we all know, is, is so amazing and powerful in its, uh, its global reach, its accessibility now. Mm-hmm. And if we can just jump on board and create technologies with the goal of not just entertaining or communicating, yeah. but to actually improve how our brains function, then we could really win as a species. You know, that's, that's the goal. Um, So how do we do that? So one of the ways that I latched onto early on was to build experiences that were personalized and adaptive, so you described your history with approaches that allowed you to use your mind better, but as you said, they were sort of primitive in a way. Yeah, very rudimentary. We want to bring on all of the advances in processing and machine learning and artificial intelligence in general, um, virtual reality, video game technologies, motion capture, physiological recordings. All of that technology can be part of this closed-loop system that helps you optimize your brain. That's so, sort of the big picture.
0: All right, so what, in if... This is gonna be a slam dunk of this conversation we have today. We wanna to do two things. We wanna do, I wanna see where all this is going, specifically with the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I understand that this some research came out within, what was that, like 48 hours mm-hmm. ago that you've been performing that research for how long? For yeah. two, two years. years? Yeah. And um, so, it, this is the first, dun dun dun, this <laughs> is the Instagram <laughs> filter where they zoom in and go ba blah. Um, so I'd like to hear a little bit about that. That's also very theoretical. This is where it's all going and what yeah. it suggests. And then I also want to straddle. What's what are things that you know that you've seen be effective in culture now and today that people can do? Sure. That you know what are some trends that you see? You've mentioned things like mindfulness and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. So I'm going to continue to Both bounce and back things. and forth Sounds in those good. two worlds. So. Um, Let's talk about the research first of all. Okay. Huge, so, huge victory here.
1: I, I think we did a good job of setting up the big picture, right? This cognition crisis, the role of technology, and hopefully helping us through this. Um, the data that we just presented two days ago, um, or yesterday, uh, is um, uh, sort of best placed in the context of where that study came from. Okay. So I'll just quickly run through the time course. Sure of a 10-year journey to yesterday's data. Excellent. So the first foray that we took into how we could create technologies to improve brain function was through the development of a video game that I designed but was developed with friends of mine that worked at LucasArts. And that game is called NeuroRacer. And it is a game that involves multitasking, resistance of distraction in a 3D environment, and it was designed in a closed loop, which essentially means that the game is constantly reading out your performance and then adjusting the difficulty to challenge you right at the level of your ability. So, so you're, not, you're not swamped and yeah, you're not bored. Exactly, right at that sweet yeah. spot, that flow state, which is what our game developers would call that. And we think that's the best way to harness brand's plasticity, to push it right to that level. And then use the game mechanics to target the neural network selectively. Um, so we built that game and we did a study that was eventually, three years later, published in Nature, the journal Nature. It was okay. the cover of the journal. I think this had happened just around the time that we were, we were talking, meeting, yeah. exactly, because this was 2013. Um, and what we showed there was that older adults playing our video game, um, if they um, played it for a month, They got better not just at the game itself, which they did, in a remarkable way, but they also improved their attention abilities that were recorded on very different tasks and their working memory, holding information in mind. And that set up a whole series of events. The first thing was that I had to learn about uh, uh, aspects of translation of research into the real world that I didn't know anything about. So first is intellectual property. I filed a patent behind that methodology of that game. Now, the patent is not the game, it's the engine of the game. UCSF owns that, that's how the faculty-university um, relationship works. Yep. Uh, we filed that seven years ago, and it was just approved a month ago, so that's the first piece of news. <laughs> Not yesterday's but a Talk month Talk about 10-year overnight success. <laughs> so, so six and a half years was approved in Japan first, followed by the US. So now we have protectable property around that game engine, which is critical, as all the entrepreneurs listening know to move something into real world scale, right? That you have that protectable property. So we have that. I started a company called Achille with friends of mine that worked at LucasArts and a venture group in Boston called PureTech Ventures, which okay. um, basically helps incubate healthcare companies. And so we started a sort of hybrid biotech tech company. Mm-hmm. So we're essentially gonna build um, a treatment for clinical conditions that's delivered through a video game. So we are a medical device company, but we build software in the form of video games so again, not the easiest way to get investors as we've discovered early <laughs> on because you're really straddling two very different yeah. worlds yeah. when I tell tech investors that it's going to take us four or five years till we have a product, they're like, "Ah uh, not interested yeah when you tell healthcare investors that they're like that's amazingly fast yeah <laughs> and software yeah so you can't you had you know this bit of uh, you know this disconnect mm-hmm. between those two worlds. So now we've eventually wound the way through. We've just closed the Series B last year of uh, 42 million, so we're well capitalized now. Oh, we've managed yeah. to find our investors that believed in us, and what Achille did was license that technology from UCSF sure. and then build a way better video game. <laughs> but made a decision to not put that video game in the consumer space, okay. but rather to take that video game through numerous clinical trials as both a diagnostic and a therapeutic tool. Okay. To essentially think about not a pharmaceutical to deliver a molecule, but a digital medicine that delivers an experience. That's how I think about this. And so, over the last three years, we've been conducting multiple studies as Achilles, both phase one, phase two, and now phase three. So a phase three study is the is the study that you do right before you submit your data to the FDA to get approval either as a medical device or as a drug. And so that's a multi-site trial, it's double-blinded, randomized, controlled, has very stringent requirements yeah. so in order to reach that highest goal of being a prescribable FDA-approved therapeutic. Sure. And so, We have multiple conditions that are being studied with this game, including autism, traumatic brain injury, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, multiple sclerosis, early Alzheimer's disease. Um, And the study that has reached the phase three level is studies of uh, children with ADHD. So we just completed a month ago a phase three trial, a 20-site study treating children uh, that have diagnosis of ADHD with EVA, which is the name of the game, the internal name, which came from NeuroRacer, um, or a control game, another game that was designed that has, actually winds up having even more engagement in a lot of ways. But uh, we didn't think has any of the active ingredients to improve attention abilities. Got it. And so we completed the trial a month ago, and it has been blinded and being analyzed by two separate groups that were sequestered. Wow. Um, essentially, so I didn't even know the data until last week. I was actually in Japan, <laughs> and had to take a call at uh, at midnight um, to like, find out. Roll, yes, to find out the data. <laughs> um, so this is just days ago. We just announced it yesterday. But basically, what we found was that we we hit. Um, our uh, primary outcomes, which was a measure of attention, and showed a significant change in the group that was treated with our game, but not the control group, and a significant difference between them. So we're able to prove the uh, improve the attention abilities of these children with ADHD, and now with that positioned. Uh, where we hoped it would be, and it was pre-submitted as a primary outcome to the FDA. Yep. Now we submit to the FDA to try to advance this through as what would be the first non-drug treatment for pediatric ADHD, and I guess the first prescribable video game in the world. So, so, so that's yeah, where literally. We stand
0: now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna restate that as <laughs> as simply as I can. That is the prescription to play video games to cure an ailment, basically. Yep.
1: Yep, to treat that condition. To
0: treat a condition that's better. Yep. So first ever.
1: First ever. That's, that's we stand a huge, poised on that. That's if if we had this deal. conversation last week, I would say that we had a study ongoing, but we don't know the data yet. <laughs> um, I, we're still not at the point that I could say we have this FDA-approved trial. Uh, yeah, for sure. We're, we're, that, is, that, that is the next step. But, but
0: I, I love having you on the show now. <laughs> Selfishly, like no, I think it's time. incredible. And having known you and your journey for a long time, um, so let's that is the very specific, like what you've been up to. And he, obviously, there are massive implications of having a condition and using games to treat them. What's at play? Like, what's going on in the brain? that you're able to do that, and Mm -hmm. what are the implications of what's going on into other areas Mm -hmm. of the brain?
1: Yeah, so basically how our process works um, of developing, because, so that's, largely I told you Achilles' story. What happened back at the shop, at Mm -hmm. UCSF, was that we realized that we were onto something here, a new pathway, and so we are really an incubator. So now we have six new games. Oh wow. And this is gonna answer your question, because it's, It'll tell you how we go about this process. And these games, some of them use virtual reality, some use motion capture. We now take physiological data and and feed that into the game engine so that the game is adaptive not just to your performance but your heart rate. rate. We have a game responsive to your heart rate, a, a game called Body Brain Trainer, a motion capture game that challenges you physically and cognitively, keeps you cognitively right on the level that's personalized to you, but physically by using your heart rate data. And we now have games that we're developing that take real time neural data and feed that into the game engine. We have games that are coupled with brain stimulation to try to stimulate and drive plasticity and accelerate the learning curve. So that's all that's going on at Neuroscape, which is our center at UCSF and what my lab has become. And so essentially how we build these is we start with a cognitive operation. Let's say we want to improve internal attention. Um, your ability to focus and not be distracted by mind wandering. Uh, A knowledge of the neural systems that are involved in that, and then looking at even real-world practices like meditation and mindfulness. Then building a game engine which involves real-time adaptivity of challenge, that closed loop, but also feedback in lots of really powerful ways, feedback and reward. You come up with that engine, to activate those networks selectively, and we know that from lots of neuroscience that it does that. Sure. And then we create the game around that. Wow. File a patent, so we now have six patents filed for all of these engines of these games. Yeah. And the game you know, could be delivered on a mobile device, it could be delivered in VR, depending on, on what we're trying to accomplish. And then we build it, and it takes us a couple of years to build each one of them, wow. to create the type of engagement and immersion that we think is critical to actually change the brain.
0: It's fascinating to me that there are jobs now, like you know this, you know forty percent of the people who are in school right now, their career hasn't even been invented yet, or whatever. <laughs> like the, the concept of being a professional YouTuber, yeah, like that didn't right. exist like even you know ten years ago. And so right now in your lab, there there are people who are video gamers, or they are writing code for video games. That it's not just about entertainment. Oh yeah, it's like it's literally helping to change the yep. lives. Yeah, of- we
1: we have a technology. A program and a whole uh, tech development team at Neuroscape, and same thing with you know the 15-person development team at Achille. Mm-hmm. They're a new generation of game, uh, prof- video game professionals. They develop not just with entertainment in mind, because yep. they do. Yep. I mean it has to be fun and engaging, yeah. especially for kids, right? Yeah. they have such a high bar of what they're willing to tolerate. Hey, yeah. like you have to hit that. Yeah. Um, but to bring in the very prescriptive algorithms that activate the network selectively and the type of closed loop system the pressure on it that's another skill set that they have yeah. now. Uh, so yeah it is it's a whole new careers.
0: Okay so what I heard from you is that you guys have developed you got a bunch of games and you have some selective games you know the game that is in you know just finished your third phase of trials going to the FDA yep. which is the one for ADHD. Yep. Is it right? ADD, ADHD? ADHD, yeah. ADHD, okay. And then you mentioned a handful of others. Where is this as a technology going? Do you believe, like what what do you believe that playing video games is capable of changing in the human brain? Mm-hmm. Like right now we think I'm gonna take a drug for this, mm-hmm. it's gonna make this happen, and my I'm gonna take this other drug for my endocrine system <laughs> and I gotta, we're taking these pills, these pills are molecules that are delivered, mm-hmm. and with the goal of affecting a thing. You are hypothesizing radical
1: mm-hmm. transformation of an entire industry or a couple, mm-hmm. couple industries. What's possible? I think everything is possible. I think it should all be left on the table and should be you know eliminated by research alone. Okay. Um, I don't think that there's any operation that the brain is capable of that can't be optimized through targeted experience. Um, Whether or not we're capable of building those and then can validate them carefully enough to show that is the real world rigorous, challenging question. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing that I don't think we should try, not try to do. So, you know, I went through the list of, you know, what I think of as cognition that we're suffering right now globally our attention, our ability to perceive, um, our memory, empathy empathy, compassion, yeah. yeah. decision making, how we regulate emotions at every level, including aggression yeah. um, and, and wisdom. You know, we we can change these things. And you know, our entire educational system is built on the premise that we can develop our brains to, you know, as we go through developmental stages through experience alone. If we can, but you know, we can do much, much better. I don't yeah. feel like we've tried. I feel like the big powerful incumbents of our didactic education system and our pharmaceutical system and medicine have just swamped out all the other creativity and innovation in developing new approaches. Yeah. And this is a great one and a timely one. Yeah. Because I feel like we are in a crisis right now. I think the news could show us lots of evidence of that. And technology has now reached the point that it is, completely scalable, right? It's so accessible. There's so many places in the world, and I've been traveling around and around it, (laughs) that we can't get doctors and teachers, but we can get mobile devices, and people will have Wi-Fi connected mobile devices everywhere in the world very soon. We have a game uh, called MetaTrain. It's a meditation-inspired game. It's played on an iPad. It uses principles of concentrated meditation, but integrated with our closed-loop system of feedback and adaptivity. And we already have data showing that 20-year-olds playing this, even for six weeks, can improve their sustained attention ability. That's unpublished. Kay. We're actually writing that paper up now. Kay. We have a study in India on foster care children showing that, well, not showing yet, but the study is to show our hypothesis that we can improve their ability to regulate their internal distraction. So this is a very at-risk group that doesn't have access to the normal, you know, the normal care that we might, um, but we're able to get it into that, you know, those communities. So that's the potential is that we don't build a game and say this game is for ADHD or this game is for autism. Yeah. We build a game for a cognitive operation that we're trying to optimize Got it. and then say who are the people that could benefit from this. Obviously some of the people are those that have diagnosed clinical conditions like ADHD where they have attention deficits. Yeah. But the bigger picture is that everyone could benefit from improving these abilities. And so in parallel with our clinical program, we also have an educational program to see can we take both better assessments of brain function and cognitive abilities, as well as these treatments through these interactive video games into classrooms and try to help every kid build better brains. So
0: I advocate that the classroom of the future is wherever you are that we're going to see learning continue to massively decentralize. You know, that's part of the principle behind Creative Live, and I think it's just accelerating. I think we're going to see 50% of the universities uh, in the next 15 years mm-hmm. go out of business or get rolled up into some other bigger universities. Um, so there's a handful of crises going on, but there's also, <coughs> in crisis, is this opportunity to reinvent um, and to create the technologies that are winning to, at, at, at scale. Um, so part of my... I'm um, trying, to, trying to now take this. There's like 10 things I want to talk about. I want to talk about brain drugs, you know, positives and negatives. I want to talk about creativity because, you know, I, I've found that creativity is more of a habit than a skill. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to validate what the, the tactical things that you've seen work that you're doing this with technology, trying to affect a major outcome, so there's like three or four things I wanna to touch on in the next, and I'm not quite sure where I wanna go, but let's just start at the start. Sure. So, let's go with creativity. So, I think you know, you're know you familiar with the show and other guests have been on before you, this show is largely for creators and entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. people who care about affecting their outcome. Now, mm-hmm. having a, a, a brain that works mm-hmm. really well is mm-hmm. helpful for that. Mm-hmm. What do you see with the work that you're doing what's you know current
1: mm-hmm. and future around creativity? Yeah, I would say that the work that we do is the foundation of creativity. Okay. Um, the ability to have control over your own mind um, is where it starts um, so that you're not constantly on the treadmill of Information. Yeah, self-doubt of self-talk of yeah. negative, yeah, all those things, right? And also just receiving all of the info that we get through social media, news sites, and never having the control to set aside the time to be with your own thoughts where yeah. creativity takes place. And so, it, to me, it's about control. It's about controlling what you take in and how you interact with the world And your technology, and you do that through a stronger brain, better attention abilities, better cognitive control in general. And so, the the most of the tech that we create is designed to give you control of your own brain, essentially. So that you know whether it's our meditation training game called Meditrain body-brain trainer, where we bring physical fitness elements to it. We have a rhythm training game, which has principles of music and rhythm to try to improve the timing and anticipation abilities of the brain, but it's all about that. It's having a better foundation upon which to layer in other important features of the brain, including creativity and wisdom and empathy and compassion. So that's the place that I work and my team, but In the future, there's the opportunity to build interactive technologies that really specifically fine tune the aspects of creativity that we want to enhance. That's something that I haven't done yet. We're just still working on the foundation. But it's certainly possible and it's it's an amazing goal.
0: Is it ironic or, obviously you've thought a lot about this, but that I think the point could be made that technology was in part largely responsible for this era that we're in, an era of anxiety, of an overabundance of information, most of which is not helpful or needed, um, that we believe it is because our two million-year-old brain that's programmed to help us survive sees a bad news story and thinks it's a saber-toothed tiger. Like, is it ironic or what's your view that the thing that, is, that you are using potentially to save us as a species technology to train our brain is the thing that got us here in the first place. So put me on this ethical
1: This is This is why I avoid having these interviews Mm -hmm. if they're too short. Yep. Because my messaging is complicated. Um, As I said, I wrote a book last year that was published called The Distracted Mind, Ancient Brains in a High Tech World, getting to your point that we do have these ancient brains. And the message there was really that some of the aspects of our brains that evolve the most which is, in my mind, the pinnacle of the human brain, is our ability to set goals, amazing goals, long time-delayed goals that are interwoven with multiple goals and multiple people's goals, and that's like an amazing feature of the human brain. But then we have these fundamental limitations in cognitive control, how well we can focus our attention, We can't distribute it very well at all. How well we could hold information in mind called working memory. And when we try to engage in more than one task, we suffer a performance decrement with every switch between those networks that are involved. And these limitations are not very different from other animals. And that's why I say we have ancient brains. Yeah. And those two things collide with each other. So this high level goal setting abilities and our limitations in cognitive control. And so we have this conflict between what we want to do and what we're actually capable of doing. I'm thinking about myself right now, like I want to change the world, but cookie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and so and technology has aggravated this. This has yeah. always existed. Yeah. As humans, we've always had this conflict. But technology, because of the unprecedented exposure to information that we have yeah. and the fact that it's in our pockets and the fact that it pings us and not just us reaching out to it, has just led us into these cycles where we're constantly challenging these fundamental abilities and we don't have time to develop things like empathy, compassion, creativity, wisdom, mm-hmm. um, our attentions are—you know—attentions fragmented, and so technology has, in my mind, clearly aggravated this mm-hmm. issue that we face around the entire world. And if that was the end of the story, it would be a, a completely yeah. unsatisfying one to me, at least. For sure. It's why I actually didn't want to write that book, because I find it uh, unsatisfying uh, to talk about this negative part of the message too much. I yeah. think it's a, a good jumping off point. Yeah. But the, the most exciting thing to me is that the very technologies that we've created that have challenged us, if developed thoughtfully with informed decisions based on how the brain actually works, yeah. can help improve the brain. And that's, that's the really, you know, that's what takes a little time to, under, to explain oh, that it's, sure. it's flipping it around. Yeah, I think. And, and video games is no is, is the most complicated place to have this discussion, right? You know, so here we are talking to parents, many of whom who have blamed video games on their kids' ADHD in the first place. Yeah, and we tell them that their doctor, instead of prescribing a medicine in its traditional format, through a drug, is going to prescribe a medicine that's a video game, and so this is a little bit of the complicated paradigm shift that I think has to occur to bring these new medicines into people's lives.
0: But that's where, that's what's beautiful and that's why I wanted you on the show. Like it's the paradox, it's the contrast of yeah. what's possible. <laughs> and I think we, we all experience it. That's, a, you know, I think if I wanted to take a second and talk to the people who are watching and listening, like don't you feel more anxious now? Don't you feel more sort of probably unnecessarily aware of all of the things that are happening? I and mean, what's the simple statistic like violent crime? Safest time in human history, unequivocally, mm-hmm. no questions asked, bar none. Infinitely safer than it was even a hundred years ago, or certainly a thousand years ago. And yet, we believe as a culture, because of the reporting and our access to information, that it's the scariest, deadliest, all these mm-hmm. of all time. And what does that create? Mm-hmm. It creates a ton of anxiety. So if you're out yeah. there, thinking, anxiety and depression.
1: Yeah, and you see it in young people, really. You know, children at like an e- epidemic level now. Yeah. I mean, it's a really serious problem that we face as, as uh, you know, a s- global society. Yeah. Um, and I agree, and I think that the anxiety, uh, you know, that occurs both by FOMO. I actually saw that written on someone's uh, set of desks yeah. as, yeah. as, <laughs> as we walked past. <laughs> yes. But also productivity anxiety. Yeah. That you're not doing everything you need or could be doing at this very moment um, has really put us in these loops, this iterative sinkhole that some of us just can't find a way out of. You don't wanna really check the news all the time. It's sort of a downer. And you can't do anything about a lot of it. But you do check it. (laughs) At the sacrifice of many other things that are important um, for us to develop. So, you know, I I think, you know, I would imagine that your audience does resonate with what you said, that people feel this burden.
0: Yeah, and well that's, I'd like to shift gears because we've been, I think, Talking about the, where it's possible, where it's going, the technology, your work in particular, because you've also been you know on this journey for a long time as a, as a human, as a friend, as a, a partner, uh, you know, just as a human move through the world, you see a lot of this. and presumably you've seen people be more successful than uh, some people be more successful than others as, at navigating this. And so the question is, what are some of the patterns? that you've seen observed mm-hmm. you know, personally and professionally yeah. for strategies to help mitigate some of this that maybe these folks that are listening don't have access to your games yet. Yeah, no. And but what are some things that you've seen?
1: You know, it's, it, it's true. The things that we're creating are not here yet. It's still a future story. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're building these approaches that we're very excited about, but we really wanna understand them and know that they work before we put them out there. Mm-hmm. And so, what do we do in the meanwhile? What do I do in the meanwhile? Um, You know, I'd say step one is understanding and being informed and really having a better appreciation of what your brain is good at and what it's not so good at. And not thinking that you're just good at everything because you want to be. Yeah. (laughs) That's the starting point. It's not enough in itself. Like, a lot of people know that cigarette smoke is really bad for you, but they smoke anyway. So, it's not enough. To, to lead to change on its own, but it is the starting point, it's the motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, it's just figuring out the steps to take control, uh, to build new habits that are healthier, that get you to uh, the better place, um, and it takes time, and you there will be failures. Um, one of the ways that, that I, Deal with technology myself because I'm not like speaking from like the top of some mountain. Like I am equally yeah. challenged yeah. by all of it as everyone else. I mean, uh, and I'm trying to work my own way through it. But I now spend um, a bit of time every day where I do one thing. Um, You know, it's easier to do it when that one thing is going to the gym and focusing on, you know, running on the elliptical or working out with weights, but even in other parts of my life, whether it's interacting with my significant other, whether it's working on a project, and really just locking down and getting better and more comfortable with single tasking. Um, And those tasks could be many. And it really is actually sort of awkward the first time you start doing it. When you're like, I'm gonna set aside an hour to work on this project, and I'm not checking social media, I'm not checking email, I'm I'm just going to do that. And you feel the burden very quickly. You feel the anxiety, Uh and you feel the boredom that we just, I feel, have a very low tolerance to. I mean, even waiting in line at Whole Foods for like three minutes, you just wanna like, (laughs) Pull out your phone instantly. Like yeah. you can't just sit there and be quiet in that moment. Observe. 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 And as we said, that's where creativity takes place in those moments where you're not taking in information; you're just letting it sift around, and find the connections naturally. Um, and so, if I, when I find that, I want to do that. If I want to set an hour aside to not multitask, um, the I, the concept of going through an entire hour like that is almost unbearable. Um it's better to do which is weird to I say. Know, it's, it's, it's embarrassing yeah. to say, but it's true. But what I found is that if you take little baby steps, you know, ten minutes yeah. and then a small break. And that break is not social media. Yeah. And I use social media all the time, yeah. but that will just take you away and away and you won't get back. It's a yeah. short break. That break might be some quick push ups, some exercise, might be some Mindfulness and breathing and focus, maybe just looking at nature if, you're, if you have it accessible, taking a little walk and then right back in again, get through that hour, and yep. each time you do it, just take a little bit bigger of a step until you start building up the skills to actually sustain in that
0: way it's amazing that we're, we're retraining <laughs> yes, like the most simple skill, which is where to direct our attention and exactly and <laughs> yet yeah, we're so bad at it you know that mindfulness. Um, my wife Kate's here in the room, and Adam, you know Kate, and Hi, Kate. Um, Kate. Well, I get to sit down with a lot of people, and she doesn't crash very many. <laughs> She's crashing this one because <laughs> of you know her personal fascination, our fascination as a family around what's possible to to train mm-hmm. um, this this muscle that we largely have ignored or let atrophy. Um, so you talked about single tasking, mm-hmm. um, and. You used the example I thought of, of the gym is interesting. To what degree, I'm also a big fan of like, positive association. Mm-hmm. So is there some things that uh, cognitively you're, how do you associate something that's very hard, painful as you're trying to break this habit of single focus, mm-hmm. like is there some tricks? Is there a dopamine hit that you, how do you uh, biochemically
1: well, I, I think reward that those, yourself? Well, I think those breaks are really very valuable they're not a trivial part of it um, in the physical fitness world of which we borrow a lot of design principles from mm-hmm. like high interval uh, and, uh, training mm-hmm. um, is you know high intensity interval training yeah. where you're you know blasting and taking a, a restorative period is something that we don't talk about that much in the cognitive training and enhancement world but you will fatigue cognitively just like you do physically yep. and so you do need periods of restoration to recover from that fatigue, and so having those short breaks, like, yeah. you know, I talked to Tim Ferriss about this a lot because we both use uh, these uh, P-bars, which are like yeah. parallettes, mm-hmm. um, in my office, and just, you know, 10, you know, 10 quick pushes of just activating your body yep. and stepping away from what you're doing and then back in really helps a lot, and I think that is a burst in that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to, to give a positive association, if you think about someone training for a marathon, right, th- it's really the same process. You don't just run a marathon in one day. You know, you baby step into it, and what started out being incredibly painful turns into an enjoyment. And that actually has started happening to me now. Now, an hour of just focused effort, which I could do without a break and then take a break then, is sort of like that runner's high a little bit. You just find a different type of pleasure in just something that's sustained and maybe not so exciting. Yeah, how different is that? Than,
0: so I've got a video on the internet about how I use my time, and I break it up into ninety-minute chunks because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, maybe it's different lengths for different folks, but ninety minutes—like I can't do anything that is r- like materially constructive, like where I'm I'm creating in less than ninety minutes. Which maybe it happens in the tenth minute, mm-hmm. but even the anxiety of only having ten minutes yeah. will mitigate my ability to get into a flow state and to find the answer that yeah. I'm looking for. So I I set aside. Uh, an hour chunk, yeah, and, or ninety minute
1: chunk, yeah. So, and and just to be clear, like yeah. I meant that also, like an yeah. hour or ninety minute chunk to do one thing. Yeah, I was talking about like very brief little breaks to yeah. like step away and return. Got it.
0: So, um, let's talk about mindfulness because, yeah. to me, th- this is all very connected. And it is. You, you brought up Tim. Uh, it's probably like five years ago I started harping. You know, Tim's like, dude, you're killing it. You're so chill. What's going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> both he and I are, are hard charging, type A people. Yeah. And I think we have had a long standing belief that part of the way we were able to occasionally achieve success was because of this like edge. Mm-hmm. And I found through uh in part luck, in part my wife Kate, that meditation with a thing that was like, oh, this ooey gooey thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: boy, this is gonna really undermine my edge. Mm-hmm. But what I found out was that not having it, it was like it's like i had been swimming with an anchor mm-hmm. for you know, the, the previous, whatever, 40 years of my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Tim, the same way. Mm-hmm. So yep. when Tim on tribe, both Tribe of Mentors and um, what's his other one? Tools for Titans, last yep. two books? Yep. I'm in that one. Meditation, <laughs> which one did you get? Tools of Titans? Or? Tools of Titans. Yeah, <laughs> me too, nice one. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, meditation and mindfulness. Some meditation or mindfulness practice was the number one thread of all of those people. Mm-hmm. So to what do you attribute the correlation? Is it like one begets the other? Mm-hmm. or Just describe that for me.
1: Well, I mean, it is exactly what we've been talking about. So okay. it's, it's pretty easy. It's that, I mean, a lot of meditation practices are essentially attention training exercises. You know, you're slowing down the stream, grabbing your focus, directing it internally, monitoring your awareness for when it drifts, and then refocusing. It's about controlling your attention. It's everything we've been talking about. Yeah. It's no, in many ways no different from any of our you know, closed-loop video game trainings, whether we think that they're based on meditation principles or not. They're all about fine-tuning different aspects of attention. This is one amazing, ancient way of doing it without any technology. Um, but the message is exactly the same. It's like, if you could learn how to take control through a practice procedure that you engage in in baby steps and get better at, you will be able to control everything better. Um, your emotions, um, how you uh, respond um, in a in a complex situation, um, how you interact with people you care about. Um, whether it's in a work or professional capacity. And so it makes sense that that's at the core to this. It's at the core to everything that we're doing through experience as a means of improving brain function. Um, so, you know, we, I also engage in, in, in my own form of meditative practice. Uh, I recently, Tim, Tim actually did this as well at my recommendation, um, went on a 10-day silent retreat. Um, I'm, I'm really good friends with uh, an amazing mindfulness uh, leader um, named Jack Hornfield. Oh yeah, um, of course. Who started Spirit Rock, yeah. and he actually uh, was one of our development partners on our meditation game, Meditran. He actually narrates the whole beginning of it. Oh wow. And we're, we're now, there's another discussion now, going into the world of thinking about using these as empathy and compassion builders, but um, I digress. Back to the 10-day the silent retreat was, have, have you done anything like this yet? I
0: haven't, but Kate does them
1: regularly. She's it is.
0: Like, uh, every other year. It's and not I, and subtle, I'm,
1: let's just say that. <laughs> I, I've done a one
0: day. I did it. it. It
1: thrashed me. Yeah, yeah. It thrashed yeah. me. Tim recently just did it as well. We, we've talked a lot about it. And yeah, he, he said it was. this was his most profound one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's it's a lot to be alone with your thoughts because it's not just silence. I mean, it's no technology. It's none of the human interaction. I mean, it's a it's a big uh, change in how you interact with the world. But I learned there uh, my own way of doing mindfulness was not necessarily through the traditional seated practices, um, but more in movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I go to the gym, I actually use my physical fitness. Workout time as a meditation period where I focus on the movements and, you know, just in the same way that you might focus on your breath, mm-hmm. I focus on the movements and the repetitiveness of it and go into that state. Um, so I sort of, you know, accomplish two things at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> hack it. Nice. Is
0: there, um, to, you know, again, Tim's a mutual friend and he's done a really good job of like finding shortcuts and, um, and then you just made the, um, you alluded to, yeah, two things at once, two birds. So are there hacks, again, in the absence of your technology being ready available to all the listeners? um, I I tend to be wary of hacks, but if if you think of learning from people who've already done this, Mm -hmm. like what do you think some, um, just what's the most direct path to get some of the benefits? So you mentioned mindfulness, you mentioned Mm -hmm. For some folks, it's moving their body. Are there other things that we're ignoring that are just sitting
1: right there on the surface for us? Well, you know, I think about meditation as a very specific practice okay. of, you know, either it's concentrated meditation or open meditation. It's a it's a defined procedure. But mindfulness, I think about as something that takes the skills of meditation but brings it into any aspect of your life. Um, so in, in some ways, in the Jim, what I think I'm doing is more of a mindfulness exercise. I mean, it's it's a hybrid of the two. But I think that there's lots of opportunity for people to engage in these activities across their entire day, Yeah. you know, when they're eating. Like, I, you know, we're probably just consuming
0: yeah. food and it's. Yeah, the other day I just picked up a handful of M&Ms and it was at a party and I was like. <laughs> yeah. I don't want this. Right, I like, exactly. And it's just because it was there and it's right.
1: so disconnected from what was happening. Yeah, and even when you're eating something that is good for you, um, a nutritional point of view to also pay attention to it, how yeah. it looks, how it feels, how it tastes, and you know, it's it's hard to do these things, but they practice like everything yeah. else. So that's another sort of you know, I don't know if it's a hack, but it's yeah. just it's it's what being mindful is. It's not just about the practice; it's just about it's about how you how you live, how how you interact with everyone around yeah. you, and of course, you can't do it all the time. But if you remind yourself of it when you're sitting. Talking with someone that you care about that you haven't seen in a while, maybe also being preoccupied with a text is probably yeah. not the best way to be mindful of that yeah. interaction. Um,
0: it's just a richer way of being in the world. I find when I can yeah. connect to that, it's like my my experience of life
1: yeah. is richer. Of course, and you and you naturally grow those things that you know, develop those things that we've been talking about, like empathy and compassion and and wisdom. You know, wisdom really comes out of experience, but thoughtful experience mm-hmm. that you've grown from. And if you're not attentive to it and connected with it, that won't happen. So, you know, we we need more wisdom right now. Yeah. I mean, the world needs it. Um, and so I think that is, you know, a, a very um, important message, that it's not just taking your 20 minutes of a meditative practice, but how you engage in all of your interactions with the world can be mindful.
0: All right. This is gonna be a little bit of a curveball. Ready for this one? Yep. So, I um, I don't love. I get asked all the time, like, oh, what am I? My uh, I'm and I'm I and i am i do not like it because I'm not very good at it. like, oh, you know, y- you are an accomplished photographer, so what camera should I buy, or whatever? And I, and to me, they're all just hammers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I obviously want to help all my friends who ask this or whatever, but we we've developed classes here at Creative Live just to help you find what camera is so that we don't right. have to answer these questions right. anymore. But when I, I want to ask you some questions that I think are peripheral to your world, not squarely in it, so you feel free to punt, mm-hmm. but I'm fascinated by the potential connection of what I'm about to ask and your world, so here we go. I have a, I'm trying to get the world to pay closer attention to their intuition. We have these gut feelings, that I'm just gonna use the common you know, layperson language here, gut feelings, we violate those things and things go wrong, we pay attention to them. My experience is that they pretty much do me right. Mm -hmm. And what a powerful tool that would be if we could get more people to pay attention to. Like this whole, I ran down the path of medical school and professional soccer and all this other stuff, only all of those were sort of in violation to this thing that I knew I needed to be a creator. Mm -hmm creating, Whether it was, you know, photographs or paintings or businesses mm-hmm. or whatever, and it was I was violating some sort of core principles, mm-hmm. and I'm calling that intuition. Mm-hmm. Is there a world where what you're doing taps into intuition? Is it is is it biochemical? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it all these things? And and is this stuff that you're working on so baseline that it positively affects all that? Mm-hmm. So. Want do talk? answer that first, and then I'll go to part B. So I believe... And you can punt, too. No, 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 like no, can, no, like, no. I like it, because believe in what,
1: I believe, uh, from a personal perspective, putting aside my research and um, you know uh, uh, company uh, focuses, I, I believe in what you say. Yeah. Matter of fact, I was asked to give a, um, a talk at my old medical school for okay. students, and so I'm sitting in front of a you know, on stage in front of a whole room of other MD PhD students okay. and giving him advice. And, you know, I thought back to when I was making the decisions at the stage they were about what I was gonna do. Now I now have a medical degree and a PhD. Am I gonna be a physician? Am I gonna be a scientist? Am I gonna try to do both? And they're consumed with this complex decision as yeah. as I was, as everyone that goes through either of these paths, nevertheless, both of them are. And you know, I told them that and I remember this process of making like an Excel chart and like listing geographic regions <laughs> and and the reputation of the school and like it was like a four level four dimensional thing. Oh, I'm so glad this is coming out. And yes. I was and and then at the very end after doing that process, I realized that I didn't want to go to the place that came out on top. I just yeah. didn't think I'd like it yeah. as much. I like this place more. And I made that decision, and I've made that decision in multiple times in my life. And so what I told them was to not just make decisions that feel intellectually driven based on data and logic, mm-hmm. but to actually start learning how to pay attention to their emotions. Yeah. And I'm looking at this room of people and everyone's like, what, you're like, what? scientist PhD <laughs> what is saying, this? saying Well this is why I'm asking. And, yeah. and
0: and I don't remember, I this is like probably, this is the equivalent of just like, losing your mind on a show like this, talking to a scientist saying, I can't remember the study, but I know it's out there, so I'm sorry, I'm committing like professional suicide right now here in this conversation, but somewhere that, that this intuition is the, is the body's ability to have, have being, it's like storing data our whole lives, but it's in a different type of memory—not this sort of active memory—that yeah. it's at a cellular level, like subtle stuff. That you know, we're taking billions of points of data in at a time. Yeah,
1: there's there's a lot we don't understand about memory and decision making, and emotion. Um, more that we don't understand than we understand. So yeah. let's just put that in context. Okay. Fair. Um, but, you know, I do believe that there is a lot uh, that we gained by learning how to go internally not just on the emotional side but on all fronts and you know it this is just part of the same conversation yeah. if you have i mean that's where mindful what mindfulness is all about if you have this better control of where you direct those limited yeah. resources you have and one of the places that you learn how to direct it is internally to understand your emotional part of your life and the logic part and how they all come together you'll have better decision-making. And that is the essence of wisdom, in yeah. my mind. And so yeah, I think that it is an eventual goal of ours to help develop things like intuition more precisely, but in the meanwhile, as I described when we talked about creativity, developing better attention and cognitive yeah. control abilities will help all of that. It is the foundation upon which all those other things live. Yeah, um, If you can never have the ability to turn your focus internally and to carefully um, understand what you're feeling, you know, you're you're missing out on so much that goes into having a quality life. I told, you know, my my message for them was if you only make those logical decisions, there'll be a day at some point in your life where you're getting up too early in the morning for something you really don't like doing and you will fail and you will quit and it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it does have that intuition has to be part of our decisions.
0: Yeah, in in Tony Robbins speak, it's like, you know, if achievement is ultimately a science, you can you can deconstruct what other high performers do, you know, re- recreate that in your language in your world to find success. But it's the other half of that same coin, which is the art of being fulfilled, mm-hmm. and sort of what part of you know in my world, does, you know, creativity and empathy, like mm-hmm. what part of that is the part of the life that you're trying to lead. And if you're only making data-driven decisions, you know, maybe even empathy and creativity, they have a data component to it, but it's those two things in conjunction. Undoubtedly. Yeah, science inter- of achievement, art of fulfillment.
1: Interesting, where I learned that, and how I learned that, was through photography also. I don't know if you know, but I'm also a photographer. I know, um, I Do actually tell. had a photography company at a point in my past called Wanderings, uh, nature photography, wow. only nature. Um, I'm actually rejuvenating it right now. So that was 20 years ago that I started that. I love this. I didn't know this. In 97, I started, uh, Nature Photography started a company in 99, a website called comewander.com that I'm re-releasing at the end of this this month. I've been working on it all year, all the 10 years of photos that I didn't release. And it was through photography, Nature Photography, that I learned how to read my emotions better because what I discovered when I'm out in the field shooting something that looks beautiful, that if I objectively went on the decision-making process of that is like a classic scene um, of how a tree should be balanced against the sunset and has a bird, it's perfect, yeah. that those pictures fall flat. Yeah. But if I pause and, and evaluate my own emotional interaction with that scene... Yeah and decide whether or not I'm feeling something, those are how I learn to make better decisions about what I captured as a photographer. And so, to me, nature photography and and what we do, what I've done in the lab for 25 years are really the same thing. They're like an exploration of nature. But on the photography side, it's much more of a a connection with the emotional response, the aesthetics of it. So, they're, they're like two parts of my life that are like joined, you know, different, but more similar than not. And that's when I first started paying more cl- close attention to that part of my, my mind. Your internal state, yes. yeah. Yeah. So I wanna take a small
0: right turn and go down like brain drug. World. Sure. We talked about molecules and that's our culture's sort of um, you know, recent history and how we deal with things as we, uh, we prescribe a drug and Turns out, as you mentioned earlier, that those drugs have a lot of side effects or can. Some, obviously, more than others. I don't want to be too overly general. I'm mindful of talking with a scientist here. Um, They pretty much all have side effects. (laughs) They pretty much all do, right? Yeah. Okay, so talk about neurotropes and, you know, drugs like Adderall and Ritalin and and ProVigil, things that are used by fighter pilots and uh, university students in finals and... You know, creators and you know the final push before their art sure. show. Get, talk to us a little bit about it. The pluses and minuses. All right. And you can talk about them being illegal or not or prescription. I don't really care. I'm interested in the okay. the name of the sort of the drugs and your belief yeah. or lack thereof in it.
1: Well, let, let's just. Uh, uh, we could do this more general, but let's be more specific about okay. attention improving drugs, like the ones you named, that we used to treat ADHD. We used to treat Alzheimer's too. Aricept acts on the cholinergic system. I'd say it acts more on the attentional system than actually the memory system. Um, Modafinil, used for jet lag, um, narcolepsy. and I would say that the message, just to create the bigger picture, is not so different than the drugs that we use to help with emotional regulation, okay. whether it be antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs. Same idea okay. is that these molecules act very generally in neurotransmitter receptor systems, okay. and the dopamine system, the serotonin system, the cholinergic system, um, and so they're powerful. They have this really profound ability to shift mental state um, in all sorts of directions, undoubtedly. The problem is, is that how our higher order abilities work, um, they're very selective, right? When you are doing a certain cognitive operation of focusing your attention versus switching your attention versus um, making a decision or trying to recall a memory, different networks are activated. And we don't have a molecule that activates a network selectively. We have never developed one. For 50 years, we have been yeah. trying to develop more selective molecular approaches to sure. targeting the brain. We don't have one. Got it. And that's why we have side effects. It's not that complicated, it's that because they're blunt instruments. And what we found as physicians, that in order to get the effect we want, yeah. we have to increase it to a dosage that generates that effect. But then invariably, because of the lack of selectivity, yeah. We get other effects that we so, don't want. Yeah, it's trying to that, do surgery with a hammer. Yeah. Exactly, that's what the side effects are. And we just have not, uh, not overcome that problem. And everyone knows it. Yeah. The FDA knows it, the pharmaceutical companies know it, yeah. the doctors, the, the families that are treated with them. And so we have a major problem that we relied on a system too heavily. Now, before I'm too negative about it because I do see nuance here, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't mean that these can't play a valuable part in our future. the mistake has been to build silos around them and treat them as holy grails that you could give someone a molecule to to correct something as complex as depression or an attention problem I mean it's sort of absurd Um, that is the more balanced uh, thinking that I have is that potentially we could reduce the doses Mm. to just use them as activators not as sole treatments Minimizing the side effects. Yep. And then use interactive experiential treatments yes. to have the selectivity and see how they work together. And then maybe you could take the drug away you know, completely in a, you know, a, a period of time after you've optimized the system.
0: So in a, you're saying that we can use, maybe there's a, a drug application in the future that combined with the technology that you're creating around experiences, yes. in this case video games, yes. to provide radical new.
1: Yes, Got it. radical. And I think that we do not understand yet the limits that we're capable of improving the human mind because we have not tried hard enough to do it. Um, And this will open up an entire new future. I mean, take the concept of a video game with a small dose of Adderall, which we've never really, we we don't understand yet, it's just a hypothesis. And then think about how a small dose of a psychedelic and a virtual reality experience come together. Yeah. I mean, that's... Be, yeah. way beyond where we've gone yet yeah. but that's more interesting to me than thinking about a molecule alone yeah that's
0: so like, I I've been I, I heard this just the the best way for me to talk about this idea that's fleeting is I heard that if aspirin were invented today it would not have passed the FDA because it's too general of a panacea mm. is that like respond to that? Well,
1: you know, how how the FDA really works is that you need to have a clinical indication which is associated with a population and a condition. It's like what what we're getting approved, hopefully, with the data that we just generated as a treatment for inattention and ADHD can't necessarily just be applied to inattention and depression. We have to do those studies. And so that's really what you're responding to. You really need to have a very fine-tuned, Indication. This is a challenge because these studies are very expensive and take a long time. Yeah. And they're complex for so many reasons. But what I hope is that once we start figuring out how to create new category of medicine, which is what we're really talking about here, yeah. that will, because the side effect profile is so much better, yeah. we will figure out a way to do this more effectively, more efficiently, and deal with all these uh, challenges that are introduced by having a technological medicine. F- you know, software um, iteration takes place rapidly. Yeah. Does every change need a whole new study? No. What does, what doesn't? This is like the really complex decisions that we have coming up in the future. Wow, what if like, you're literally inventing an entire new genre of medicine? I do believe that. And I think that the thing that's even bigger than that is that it becomes a new genre of education, too. Yeah. Because these approaches don't necessarily have to just be applied to those that have deficits yeah they could be applied to just the healthy developing mind and keeping everyone's mind at a highest level possible throughout our lives. So that's even the bigger potential yeah um, but yeah so I when I'm talking to people about Creative
0: life for example, what we see is off the charts engagement like I uh, without going into the weeds I, I sometimes I write the number three on the board if I'm like talking to people who are not familiar, they say, I point out, I say, we have really, really high engagement. And people say, oh my gosh, like a media company, I was in New York not too long, and they're like, how do you keep people's attention for three minutes? And I was like, that's hours. You know, we have people sitting down and consuming yeah. CreativeLive for almost three hours at a so pod sometimes on the it's desktop. Amazing. And when I'm when I'm hearing you talk about the our ability to direct our attention for educational purposes, as in like, mm-hmm. not helping someone who's on a deficit, but yeah. like just. Of course you would. Like why wouldn't we? If there's if there's so much time we, we we got PE to train our bodies, right. we know that movement, like why wouldn't we layer in this right. to our learning?
1: it's amazing how long it took me to make that leap. Because as a as a physician, I always thought about the things we were building were medicines. Yeah. But as I started giving more and more public talks, I started hearing more of this question about why not for all kids. Yeah. And then, I remember I was at actually in a meeting at the White House, of all places, talking about video games as, as, as tools to improve attention and well-being, and uh, someone there said, why isn't this just part of education? And I was like, huh. And that was really the, yeah. the moment of click for me. And um, what I realized at, 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 that, uh, at that point was that we don't really assess cognitive abilities in young people, and kids, unless we think they have a learning disability. Then we'll test them. Then we'll test them, and when we find out that they do have a problem with attention, then we drug them. We don't actually try to fix their attention, nor do we assess it in the B student that it could do better in some aspect of their cognition. We don't know, you could ask a teacher who's the best kid in your class in math or reading, they know instantly who has the best sustained attention, who has the best working memory. Who has the best emotional regulation? These things are not assessed, and because they're not assessed, they're not prioritized, they're not targeted. Yeah. So our education system misses this whole ability to actually optimize how young brains perform and not just giving information or trying to build skills, mm-hmm. but actually building the foundations. Um, once that happened in my mind, I just yeah. couldn't let it go. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the biggest win bigger than just the medicine one.
0: Yeah, it's like performance. You've also referenced kids a lot, but I'm assuming that that's because it's a population that you are focused on around the video game world right now, but uh, continuing education, adults, ongoing.
1: Most of our research at Neuroscape, which is, you know, so I wear these two main hats here as the founder, co-founder of Mm Achille, but the director of Neuroscape, which is Mm -hmm. our research center at UCSF. Mm -hmm. Most of our research is on adults and older adults. Um, And a matter of fact, what the game that's being tested on ADHD came from, is, as you remember, is our nature paper, which was on older adults. Yeah. So I'm really interested in improving cognition, especially at, at end of, not end of life, but yeah. even like 40s onward, yeah. like a very neglected population in terms of maintaining abilities. Yeah. Independent of things like dementia, yeah. um, just how do we continue to keep our brains at the very highest level, which is what really matters as yeah. you go through life. Um, so that's, that's actually the biggest part of my research program. Wow. Well,
0: two things. One, if people want to follow along, where do they do that? Mm-hmm. So, what's the best way to follow you and your mm-hmm. work? And I mean, you're very active socially, so people should know that. Yeah. And you're, are you Adam Ghazali? Uh, Adam Ghaz. Adam Ghaz. Yeah, Adam Ghaz
1: on Twitter, two Zs. Okay. Um, and uh, Neuroscape. Uh, .ucsf.edu, um is uh, our that's our center website, and we have a mailing list. We update people all of our publications, my talks we put on there, yeah. news piece. You know, we really try to keep people up to date on what's happening there.
0: And, and for what it's worth, a little bit of backstory: like, there's so many people who've been guests on this show who are huge followers of Adam and his work and his labs and Achilles the company, because I think there's a lot of belief in accelerating in human performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that at all, if getting better and being smarter and you heard things like cognition, recognition, um, active memory, uh, creativity, all of these things, like, you need to pay attention to Adam's work. So last question is, like, what's next? So you got this, huge announcement and you got like what what is it what are the next like six months look like for you?
1: Yeah, so you know, Neuroscape's gonna keep going about its path of we're now we now have five longitudinal studies on MetaTrain and rhythmicity and body brain train, a new game called Engage, uh, to see if we could create new tools. Mm -hmm. And Achille is gonna continue their march to move our first product into clinical practice for pediatric ADHD with an FDA submission mm-hmm. coming up in the near future. And that's A-K-I-
0: A-K-I- AKILI.
1: Got it, okay. A-K-I-L-I, um, and Achille will keep m- moving forward on that. And then we have numerous studies in the mid-phase on depression, multiple sclerosis, to get other conditions uh, to have treatment. So those are the, the two big pathways that'll be happening this year. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for to the having show, me. It's great, I am man. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for spending awesome time with us. Here. Thank you so you much. You guys know how Thank to pay you. attention to Adam. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you again, hopefully, tomorrow. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things.